Here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the Denver Broncos. This is the Broncos Wire podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Now, your host, Ryan O'Leary and Broncos Wire editor, John Heath. Welcome into the show. First of all, let us be the first to wish you, the listener, a healthy and happy new year. Just a quick shout out that you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for the Broncos Wire. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button and leave us a review. We appreciate it. John, there's no real other way to put it besides the Broncos blew a massive opportunity in Vegas, right? Uh, The Chargers and the Steelers both go down, but the Broncos fail to take advantage against a Las Vegas team that's just not that good. The the Raiders just aren't that good. So the Broncos lose another game to a Midler, and it's just frustrating. There's no other way to put it, right? Yeah, it is frustrating because, like you said, going into that game after watching the Chargers not just lose, but get beat up by the Texans. Like, who saw that coming? The Texans. And then, the Texans. And then you see the Steelers lose, and it's like, oh, man, like every wild card scenario is working out perfectly for the Broncos. Now after they win this game, they're right in the wild card hunt, and then the Broncos come out and they fall flat on their faces. And it's just like last week. Like, uh, I, I feel like with the playoffs on the line, you want to have some sense of urgency. You want to be motivated. You want to go out there and get it. And they just don't. And I shouldn't lump the whole team into that because the defense was fine again, just like they were last week. But the offense was just dreadful. The offense was pitiful. Like, the offense got two field goals. They could have got a third field goal, but Brandon McManus missed it. But even if he makes that, that's nine points, and nine points is not good enough. Like, I'm not giving the touchdown to the offense. Good for Bradley you. Chubb good for you. did all the work yes, for he did. that. Like, a nice interception got it down inside the one-yard line. And, like, good job, Javante Williams, punching it in. But, like, that's basically a defensive touchdown. So the offense only manages six points and then an inch-yard touchdown from a turnover on defense. It's just – not acceptable. And like Drew Locke, it's a new quarterback, basically same problems. And I know Drew Locke has plenty of excuses from that game. And they are, a lot of them are legitimate. Like the offensive line was not playing very well. Lloyd Cushenberry had COVID and he didn't play and they really missed him. I think some people haven't been that happy with Cushenberry, but I think that game showed how key he is for the offensive line. Like they really missed Cushenberry on the inside. And then the run game was completely shut down by the Raiders and Denver's wide receivers and tight ends, they had three drops. So, like, that that didn't help Locke, but, like, he still could have done a little bit more than he did. Like, when the Raiders stack the box and are so focused on shutting down a run, like, Locke's got to take advantage of that a little bit and open things up a little bit. And I know people will say, well, he tried to, and his teammates let him down with the three drops. And it's like, yes, to an extent, sure. But three drops is only three plays. Like, that's not all – it didn't happen all, all his pass attempts. He, he's had, he just needed just a little bit more. Like, I, I'm not, like, saying he had a bad game. He was just fine. Once a great – he wants in terrible. He he didn't have any turnovers, so that's nice to see because that really is an accomplishment for him to protect the ball like that. So I was happy he protected the ball. I just I want to see a little bit more from Locke, but at the same time, I I'm not putting it on him because I think it more than anything the offensive struggles come down to the offensive coordinator because if if Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke like none of them are the answer, but like the offense has having the same problems no matter which one of them is in. And a reoccurring thing that we've been saying week after week is on third down, they throw it to a receiver short of the first down marker. The receiver gets tackled short of the sticks and they punt the ball. So and back when yes. Bridgewater, 
when Bridgewater was doing that all season, like there was a running narrative of, oh, Bridgewater's too conservative. Oh, check down Teddy. Like he can't go for it all. He doesn't have the arm strength, you know. And uh, to an extent, I think that's a little bit fair. But when Drew Locke comes in and he's Mr. Gunslinger and the same exact thing happens over and over, it's like, okay, something else is going on. This is not just coming down to who's in at quarterback because that's not Drew Locke's nature. And I think like it's either one of two things. One, the wide receivers are just have terrible football awareness and Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick, and Fan, all of them aren't smart enough to run their route one yard shorter for a first down, which I don't think it's had. I don't think they're all that aware. They're supposed to be running a little bit deeper and they're not. I think it's the play caller. Like I think Pat Shermer, he's putting too much stock in put the ball in your playmaker's hand, have him make a play and pick up the first. Like that can happen. And for a handful of times it has happened for the Broncos, but more often than not, it's good coverage. The defensive backs right on him. As soon as he catches the ball, he's tackled. And like, I understand that sometimes he's, the receiver is going to be able to make one guy miss and pick up a couple more yards. But when over and over and over, that's not been happening. Like, how can we keep trying to do it and keep expecting it to happen every time when almost every time it doesn't happen? It's like you, it, and it's not that hard to scheme up something to have your guys be on the first down market. Like right now, I can tell you something, Ryan, like have Cortland Sutton on the outside on the right, Jerry Judy on the inside on the right as a slot receiver, have Cortland Sutton run a, like it's third and five, have him run a five yard slant. Have Jerry run a four-yard, like a flag, like a corner route, just underneath him. One of them should be open. And then have Noah Fant on the other side of the field run a drag across the field. And Pat Shermer just in, like, the film room in the meetings when they all be like, hey, Noah Fant, when we run this play and it's third down, always run this drag one yard farther than the first down marker. Oh, okay, coach, that's very simple. That's very easy to understand. Like, that's very basic football. I can definitely do that. That's not hard to remember. So, like, it's not that hard to scheme up. And, like, just a slant, a flag, a drag, all those routes, like, unless your offensive line just completely collapses, the receivers and tight end, they can all make their cut. And they can all be beyond the first down marker before the quarterback is needing to get rid of the ball. Like, you don't have to have them run a route short of the sticks. Like, it's not that hard to scheme up something. It's not like some weird, crazy concept. Like, every other team is able to do it. I don't know why the Broncos aren't able to do it. It just... And we only have two weeks left, so Pat Shermer's not getting fired now. Like, we're with him for the rest of the season. But, like, at the end of the season on Black Monday, even if they stick with Vic Fangio, like, Shermer's got to go. The offense is just terrible. And I think, like, the quarterbacks haven't been great, but I think a majority of the blame goes on Shermer. Yeah, let's talk about Shermer a little bit. I agree with you. Because uh, it, it's got to be coached. When, when multiple guys are doing it and nothing's changing, you know, it, it's got to be coached. And well, first of all, I think Broncos country would be fine with John Heath being the new play caller. You know, John, you could drop the place. I think people would be all for that at this point. But, you know, yeah, just hey, knuckleheads. Look, they even put a pylon at the first down marker now, so you should be able to see it. You should be able to see it over there. Like, let's run it to the sticks. Yeah, no, that is that is definitely one that is just so frustrating. It was, a very, it, it was another very, very bad day for Pat Shermer. You know, I look at Melvin Gordon. He just didn't have it in this game, did he? He didn't have it. I mean, I know the running game didn't gain any traction. You mentioned that. 16 carries for 18 yards, John. 16, the Broncos, 16 carries for 18 yards. That's supposed to be their game. 
they couldn't gain more than a yard a carry. It, it, that's unbelievable to me. And Melvin Gordon just didn't have it. I mean, he was getting tackled behind the line of scrimmage all day. Negative four yards on seven carries. I know Javante Williams didn't gobble up many yards on his touches either. I mean, both of them were kind of a non-factor. But I thought they could have moved away from Melvin Gordon, who did not have it, and maybe featured Javante a little bit more and just tried to stick to the run game a little bit more. This was never a big spread, right? It was always a close game, but it felt like the Broncos got away from the run too much and put the ball in Drew Locke's hands. And, oh, by the way, they hate Drew Locke, right? They don't want they, <laughs> they don't want Drew Locke playing quarterback. They can't wait to get Teddy Bridgewater back. And as soon as Teddy's cleared, I'm sure he'll be the guy. So it's like that was an interesting strategy, right, to – for the team that hates Drew Locke to put the ball in his hands and kind of abandon the run, I thought that was just uh, you know just fascinating and just makes you slam your head into the wall. And that's why we're so sick of Pat Shermer. That's why Broncos country is demanding this change, right? Because it is a tone-deaf kind of uh, situation when it comes to play calling and just feel for the game. Yeah, and I get what you're saying about Williams and Gordon because to Gordon's credit, there was a lot of times that basically as soon as he got the ball handed off to him, there was someone in his face. And, you know, there's not a lot you can do when there's defensive linemen in the backfield right away. But at the same time, Javante Williams, he is like, I think he has the most or the second most after yards contact in the NFL this yeah. season. Let him carry and even guys. in that Raiders game, like Williams, he did not end the day with a good stat stat line but he broke multiple tackles and there were times when he should have been tackled behind the line of scrimmage just like gordon and he made one or even two guys miss and got like one or two yards on a play that gordon lost three or four yards you know so i could see what you're saying like when the game's going like that when you're not being able to get much done in the run game like go with your back that can make a little bit something out of nothing because you were getting nothing. At least Williams can, you know, like salvage a few yards. So they should have probably made Williams a little more involved than they were. And that you're right. They probably did give up on the run game a little too early. And I, I don't know if they necessarily put it in Locke's hands too much. Like there's only so much you can do when the run game is, is just being stuffed so much. Like the, the Raiders put so much stock into shutting down the run. I think at some point the quarterback's got to be able to do something. And again, I think when I say this, people are going to be like, well, he tried to, and the receivers dropped the passes, but it's like, it's, it's not only those three plays. Like he's got to be able to like, they scored six points plus a one-yard touchdown. Like, that's just not good enough. No matter what the circumstances are, your line's not playing good, the run game's not there. Like, a quarterback's got to be able to put up more points than that. Yeah, I think the the uh, touchdown the Broncos got on offense, uh, it's almost like a hockey play, right? There was two assists on that one. Derek Carr got one assist. <laughs> and uh, Bradley Chubb got the second assist, and then Javante Williams got the goal. And that's kind of how I would talk about that, uh, that, that touchdown for the Broncos. <laughs> Uh, okay, so my my last point on this game, John, was what the Raiders did to the Broncos on the ground. They rushed it 40 times for 160 yards in this game. The Raiders did what the Broncos want to do to teams, right? And they really asserted their will on that first drive of the third quarter. You were tweeting about it. And I just I thought the Broncos were supposed to be the more physical team, right, with the better run game. And I think it's fair now to call out you know, this thing that the Broncos are supposed to be this big, physical, tough team that runs the football and we're going to play tough defense and we're going to run it down your throat. And I've seen Denver get just manhandled in a few games now. Uh, they got manhandled in that Browns game earlier when they were down a lot of personnel, uh, but Cleveland was as well. They got manhandled in that Eagles game when the Eagles ran it down the throats. And then I thought Vegas ran it down our throats here in the second half. So, like, I think this whole thing about the Broncos being this 
tough, uh, you know, team. And it's kind of a myth because ever since that Cowboys game where the Broncos won and we all kind of perked up on our seats, John, we we're like, oh, whoa, well, the season's not over. It's not, uh, we still got a chance here. The Broncos are going to play for this thing. Well, they're two and four since that moment, right? That big rallying cry where Vic Fangio was talking crap in the post game. They're two and four, and they've lost to a bunch of middling opponents. And uh, I think seeing them getting physically dominated by the Las Vegas Raiders and their crappy offensive line was like a little bit too much to take in that second half. Yeah, I'm with you that I think they definitely absolutely have a mentality problem. But specifically with stopping the run, to me, I think this is making a strong case for Kenny Young to get a contract extension at the end of the year because – I don't think it's a coincidence every game that Kenny Young has either been out with injury or the games before they traded for him earlier in the season, they teams have just run down their throat. And Kenny Young, he had a concussion. He was out for this game and they got run down their throat. And that had like there have been some games where they should have been better against the run with Young than they were, but there ha- every time he's out, teams like he just plugs the he he fills the gap so well he's so good at that and Kenny Young Alexander Johnson and Josie Jewell they're all free agents at the end of the year and uh, the run game also took a hit obviously when Johnson and Jewell went down so I think if anything this tells us you know they they got to resign at least one of those guys and right now I'm kind of leaning towards Young but because of it he's younger and probably a little bit more accomplished. He might be the most expensive among them. But one of those three guys, I think they got to resign this offseason. Uh, I mean, I guess maybe they could turn to the draft to get someone. But just the guys that are currently on the roster at inside linebacker, it hasn't been good enough against the run. And I, I'm with you. Like Since the Cowboys game, like it was so – I was like, okay, the Broncos, they're, they, they have the talent. They can put it together. They can make a playoff push. But just – like – there's just – I come back to again and again. It's just like they don't have a sense of urgency. Like it's – they're not being like coached up. They don't have like the drive and the mo- – like it doesn't seem like they do. Like it's hard for me to say that because I'm not in their heads. But just from sitting and watching the game, like it just doesn't seem like they have the mentality that they need to be a playoff team. Like they don't deserve to make the playoffs. No, I, I think that's a good way to put it. I mean you look at these four losses out of their last six. I mean I think only the Chiefs are like definitely better than you. The other teams you should have beat, or you should, they're, they're right in your weight yeah. class, and you lost all three of those games, and you keep losing to these teams that you need to beat in the AFC. It's so maddening. Uh, but we'll continue to pick away at this with our questions of the week right after this. This is the Typico Sportsbook Fantasy Minute. Let's make this interesting. interesting. I'm Corey Benini of TheHuddle.com here to bring you strong plays for the Fantasy Football Championship Week, number 17. Quarterback Russell Wilson, Seattle Seahawks versus Detroit Lions. Wide receivers DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett are back in business. And tight end Gerald Everett has been on the upswing in recent weeks. Running back Rashad Penny has managed to resurrect his early career hype in a span of three games. And through all of that, Wilson still hasn't been a fantasy factor since returning from surgery. That should change versus a Detroit defense that has given up six performances of at least 21 fantasy points to quarterbacks this year. While the Lions may be improved against the pass, there's just too much to contain, and Rush should get back to cooking at home. He's good for 250 and two at minimum. Running back Devin Singletary, Buffalo Bills versus Atlanta Falcons. In the last three weeks, Singletary is RB5 overall in PPR scoring. I bet you didn't have that on your fantasy football bingo card for December. Atlanta has struggled to contain the position in 2021, and Singletary's upswing has come at a perfect time to trust him as an RB2 in reception-rewarding formats. Running backs have averaged 21 PPR points per game against this defense in the last five weeks, and the season-long look at that number is 25.6, or 11% higher than the league average. 
Amon Ross, St. Brown, Detroit Lions at Seattle Seahawks. In a year full of big-name rookie receivers, St. Brown's 74 receptions trails only Jalen Waddle's 96. Last Sunday, nine catches, 91 yards, and a touchdown came with Tim Boyle under center, showing he can deliver regardless of the quarterback. Jared Goff is due back this week after being activated from the COVID protocols. Seattle has permitted 15 receivers to catch at least five passes in 2021. In the last five weeks, only Cooper Cup has more catches, and just Cup and Justin Jefferson have more targets than this rookie. Even if Seattle manages to keep him out of the end zone, St. Brown has had enough volume go his way to suggest that he can overcome it. Tight end Foster Moreau, Las Vegas Raiders at Indianapolis Colts. Moreau once again will be the primary tight end if Darren Waller cannot play through a knee injury. Indy has given up top three numbers for yardage and receptions in the last five weeks, and Moreau has been trending in the right direction with 10 plus PPR points in consecutive games after being mostly quiet during Waller's absence. While trusting Moreau is risky, the Colts offer an amazing opportunity in PPR scoring. Best of luck in your championship quest. For more award-winning fantasy football news, tips, and advice, please be sure to check out thehuddle.com. That was your typical sportsbook fantasy minute. Win your fantasy football league with thehuddle.com and use them to dominate player prop bets at Typico Sportsbook. For a limited time, new Typico Sportsbook users in Colorado and New Jersey from this podcast will enjoy a special welcome bonus. Get your bonus today at usatodaybet.com slash podcast. That's usatodaybet.com slash podcast. See typico.com for terms and conditions. 21 plus only gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey. 1-800-522. 4700 in Colorado. All right, it's that time of the show. It's our questions of the week. Three questions for John. He was not prepped on these. And here's question number one for you, John. Give me your top New Year's resolution for the Broncos entering 2022. What do you think it should be? Uh, get a franchise quarterback. However, <laughs> That's a good one. however, that needs to be done, whether it's trade for an Aaron Rodgers, trade for a Russell Wilson. Like if they're completely sold on like a Malik Willis or somebody in the draft, that they absolutely love like, sure, go get one of them. Like I'm not that high on one of the QBs in the draft, but like if they do, sure. Like do, do what George Payton's got to do what he needs to do to get a franchise QB. Cause I know some people still are not giving up on drew lock, but I'm ready for something else. And Teddy Bridgewater, if they want to resign him to be like a veteran mentor or backup or whatever. Okay. I won't complain about that, but I don't want to go into next season counting on either one of them to be the guy. No, I, there's nothing there that I can uh, yell at you about, John. I, I agree 100% with all that. Uh, but I will just add that I also want them to fire the head coach, offensive coordinator, and special teams coordinator. I just want yeah. them to redo that whole thing. Bring offensive in a new head coordinator coach, yeah. and special teams for sure. Fangio, I just don't know how realistic it is. Like, I, I wouldn't be mad if they fired him. I just, I'm not going to be shocked if they give him, let him finish out his contract and then let new ownership make a decision. Okay, fine. Well, that, that makes me upset, John. But uh, So, <laughs> fine. If they're keeping Fangio, then they have to redo everything else and, and hopefully uh, fix the offense. And, yes, finding a solution at quarterback is prio number one. And, and let's do question number two here. Buy or sell Peter King's wild trade idea that would basically turn Denver into the Green Bay Packers. But let me lay this out for the listeners in case they haven't seen this. Peter King wants the Broncos to hire Nathaniel Hackett. Now, who the hell is Nathaniel Hackett? Well, that's Green Bay's current offensive coordinator who nobody's ever heard of, John, because Matt LaFleur is one of those head coaches that has his eyes glued Mm -hmm. to the offensive play sheet and calls all the plays. So we don't Mm -hmm. really know much about Nathaniel Hackett, but he's probably the guy behind the scenes dialing up these game plans. But LaFleur gets all the credit because he's calling the plays, and that's why he's coach of the year right now, um, or the favorite, too. So that's Nathaniel Hackett. So Peter King says, hire him as your head coach. I'm all for that. He's not Vic Fangio, so I'll take I'll take Nathaniel Hackett, even though, again, I have no idea who this guy is. 
He also wants the the Broncos to sign Devontae Adams. Well, that, that's a that's a neat trick, right? Just sign Devontae Adams. Okay, I like that. That's assuming that Green Bay allows him to become an unrestricted free agent. And then you're going to trade two first-round picks, a fourth, and Jerry Judy to Green Bay for Aaron Rodgers. So there's Peter King's wild trade idea that would fix the Broncos, turn them into the Green Bay Packers, basically, John. Buy or sell that idea. On the surface of going after Aaron Rodgers, I buy that. On this elaborate plan, I'm selling it because I I don't think the Broncos have to do all that. Like it, Adams, like obviously he's a great receiver, but you'd have to pay him a lot of money. And if you get someone like Rodgers, I assume he's going to want a contract extension, maybe even a raise. So you need cap space for Rodgers. I don't know that you can really afford to spend splash on a wide receiver. Like he's obviously much better than Judy, but Judy. He's younger and he's way, way cheaper. And you also have Cortland Sutton and Tim Patrick. So it's not like you can't be like to Aaron Rodgers, hey, we got three really young, appealing wide receivers. I don't think Adams is what is going to tip Rodgers one way or the other. I think if the Packers are are willing to trade Rodgers, I think the Broncos will be in on him. And I think they will have a realistic chance to get him. But do they have to hire his offensive coordinator and trade or, or tr- sign his favorite wide receiver? I think that might be a little bit elaborate of a of a plan from Peter King. I don't think they have to do all that. Yeah, that part is is makes it feel like it won't happen the most because there's a lot of moving parts there. But I actually think like that's the part that would make the most sense because Aaron would want his Green Bay guys in the scenarios because that's just that's just who he is, right? You know how I feel about Aaron Rodgers. I'm selling this <laughs> because there's one thing in this wild trade idea that Peter King forgot to mention, John, and it's that you also have to trade your soul. You have to give up your soul to bring in Aaron Rodgers, this world-class oh a-hole who's going to make it all about him. He's going to become your coach, your GM, your owner. Uh, he'll be, uh, yeah, he'll bring in Nathaniel Hackett, Devontae Adams. Oh, uh, Randall Cobb, you're going to come in. You're going to play in the slot. He's going to do that whole thing. No, no, no. You don't believe me. Broncos country, we need a new quarterback. We're dying for it. We, we, we would take anyone at this point. Just not Aaron Rodgers. You don't want to sell your soul for Aaron Rodgers. But we'll, we'll, we'll argue about this at another day, John. I just want to do the slightest argument to you, Ryan. I can't help myself. When the Broncos signed Peyton Manning, Brandon Stokely was a free agent on the street, ran routes for him in Denver as his workout for the Broncos. And then after that, Manning signed with the Broncos and he told them to sign Brandon Stokely and they did it for him. And they had their offensive coordinator, but Manning like literally was the offensive coordinator. He basically called the plays. And if he didn't call the plays, more often than not, he changed the plays. So Manning had influence on personnel decisions and he basically did whatever he went with whatever he wanted with the offense. And nobody complained about it because it worked and because it was Peyton Manning. And I with Aaron Rodgers, as long as it works. I'm not complaining, and I feel like he, like he's about he could win MVP back to back years. Like I'm not going to be that upset about about like sure maybe a personality. Like I wouldn't love to hang out with him maybe, no, but if no, if, no. if it's getting results on the field, I don't mind if he's running the team. I just I had to clap back at that. No, I, I get you, and that's that's what it would take, right? You'd have to give him that control and promise him that, and he is a he's an unbelievable talent, an unbelievable football player. There's no argument there at all. He's one of the best football players ever do it. But he can just stay in Green Bay for me and and lose another NFC title game like he does every single (laughs) year. Okay, question number two, John. Uh, The Broncos, they had no players on the original Pro Bowl roster this season. Who are your top snubs for them? What's the one player that you thought you definitely should have got in for them? Well, Justin Simmons, he's the first alternate at uh, free safety 
But in the NFL, they only do one free safety for the AFC and the NFC. If they had, if they did two free safeties for each conference, Justin Simmons would already be on the Pro Bowl ballot or on the Pro Bowl roster. So like Kevin Bird, the Titans safety, like I'm not that mad about him getting in over Simmons, but I just think Simmons should be there too. Like the Pro Bowl, they don't have to like try to save money or something. Like what does it matter if two more guys go to the Pro Bowl so you can have two free safeties? So I think that just the the way they uh, format the roster, I don't love that. I think Simmons should be there. And then the the big snub to me is Pat Sertan, yeah. but he's also a first alternate. So he only needs one of the four cornerbacks in the AFC to drop out or go to the Super Bowl or something to be able to get in. So you would think he'd have a decent shot. And the four guys that are above him, like J.C. Jackson, he's had a great year. No problem with him getting there. Denzel Ward, he's had a similar year to Sertan and Kenny Moore he has had a fine season as well so I'm not mad about those guys but Xavier Howard or Xavier Howard I feel like he got there just because he's a name he's made the Pro Bowl before he's like he's someone that everybody knows and the Pro Bowl is such a name thing like even Garrett Bowles for the Broncos he's a first alternate and he hasn't even had a good year like last year he was much better and he didn't make the Pro Bowl this year he uh, seemingly took a step back and he's an alternate and, and like Bradley Chubb is a third alternate. He's barely played this year because of injury and the games he's played in, he has zero sacks this season. So I, I just think like the people just vote for names and Howard, he's allowed six touchdowns. Sertan has only allowed three touchdowns. They both have four interceptions. So I feel like that is kind of a snub. I wish Sertan would have gotten there, but because they're both first alternates, they're going to have a chance to get there. So hopefully one way or another, both of them end up going to the all-star game anyway. But yeah, I definitely think Simmons and Sertan should have been on the original roster. Yeah, I agree. I think Simmons has a real uh, real argument to be a snub. I mean, he's definitely one of the best safeties in the game. And Patrick Sertan, his time's coming, right, John? Just the fact that he's that he's right there with all these big names this year, his rookie year, is just a great sign and, for, and further proof that the Broncos made a good pick at number nine overall. No doubt about that. All right, looking ahead, the Broncos heading to L.A. to play the Chargers. They're big underdogs in this game. We'll talk about that spread and make a prediction right after this. This is the Typical Sportsbook Minute. Let's make this interesting. What's up? This is Jeff Clark from the Bet Slipping Podcast presented by SportsbookWire.USAToday.com. I'm here with my handicapping homie, Nathan Beagle, to break down this week's Monday Night Football game between the Cleveland Browns and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Our friends at Typico Sportsbook have the Browns favored three and a half points and the total sitting at 40 and a half. My pick is the Steelers plus three and a half points. It's a pros versus Joes game with more money coming in on the Steelers, but more bets being placed on the Browns. Also, since 2011, the Steelers are 7-1-1 and against the spread when getting three points or more at home. Nate, how do you see this game playing out? I'll take the Steelers plus 3.5 as well. Baker Mayfield has thrown eight picks in his last five games and has just one game with over a 60% completion rate. I'll ride with the better quarterback in his last home game that was your typical sportsbook minute for a limited time new users in colorado and new jersey from this podcast will enjoy a special welcome bonus get your bonus today at usatodaybet.com slash podcast that's usatodaybet.com slash podcast Typico.com for terms and conditions. 21 plus only gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in new jersey 1-800-522-4700 in colorado All right, John, the Broncos, six-and-a-half-point underdogs on Tipico heading to L.A. to face the Chargers. 
Why? <laughs> why are they? Why are they such big underdogs in this game? I think six and a half feels like way too many points to lay. I mean, I would take the points in Denver against this spread. I mean, the Chargers lost to Denver earlier this year. They just got blown out by Davis Mills and the Texans. They can't stop the run. Why are the Chargers favored by so much, John? What do you think? Yeah, I really don't know why they're favored. Like, I've just been talking about how bad the Broncos' offense is and how they're underwhelming, but I still would like them to keep it within that point spread. And I I might even pick them just to win the game because the Chargers, you know, like you said, the Broncos beat them 28-13 to earlier this season. Drew Locke, it's looking like he's trending towards starting again because Bridgewater's still in the concussion protocol. So Locke may start against them. And for all his struggles as a quarterback, Locke is 3-1 and one against the Chargers in his career. Like, the Broncos have been terrible against the Chiefs. They've been bad against the Raiders. But, like, in the Vic Fangio era, the Chargers are the only AFC West team the Broncos have a winning record against. Like, for whatever reason, they that? usually get up against the Chargers. And this past week, the Raiders shut down the Broncos' run game but the Chargers, they allow hundred or they allow the fourth most rushing yards a game. And the last time the Broncos played them, they rushed for 147 and two touchdowns. So, like on, on paper, this seems like the kind of game the Broncos are going to be able to run. Locke historically has been fine against the Chargers. So, yeah, even though like Tim Patrick for the Broncos, he's on COVID reserve, so he's not going to be able to play. But the Chargers, they also have some guys on COVID. So, I feel like. That like both teams are dealing with some illness. Both teams have a little bit of injuries. And, you know, there are fans that will argue the Broncos are actually better off with Drew Locke than with Teddy Bridgewater. I don't know that I necessarily agree with that, but I think historically Locke has been fine against this defense. And this season in particular, like the Chargers haven't been able to stop the run, which is what Denver's offense is best at. So, yeah, I, I definitely think they can keep it within six and a half. And if you want to tell me you're you're happy with Locke in there over Teddy Bridgewater, I don't think that's an outrageous take at all. For me, it's just like, how do the Broncos want to play with Locke, right? Do they want to do they want to go to that run heavy feature the run game thing like they do with Teddy Bridgewater? Because against a team like this and the Chargers that can't stop the run, John, and they couldn't stop it back in November when Denver played them, do you want to go with that? run heavy game plan or do you want to let Locke throw it a little bit and try to get the ball downfield to the receivers those are two different kind of plans and it feels like Shermer and the Broncos don't really know which way they want to go when Locke's in there right they they're not sure if they want to be that same team they've been with Teddy Bridgewater or if they want to try to you know kind of funnel the offense through Locke's strengths which you know he's got more arm talent he can get the ball downfield a little bit a little bit quicker in the pocket some he can do some things so like how the Broncos want to play with Locke. I think that's kind of a fascinating thing for me. I would love them to do the whole Teddy Bridgewater game plan and mm-hmm. just kind of limit Locke's pass attempts and run the ball, but I'm not convinced they're going to do that because they always seem to like lose their minds and change the game plan when Locke's in there. Yeah, I agree with you that just because it's a new quarterback, I would still just stick with what's worked. Like against the Raiders, it didn't work, but the Raiders have a defensive, uh, a different defensive front than the Chargers do. And we've already this season seen the Broncos run it down the Chargers' throat. So we have no reason to believe they're not going to be able to run again. So just stick with that. It, it doesn't matter if it's Bridgewater, or if it's Locke, do what can move the ball for you. And like, if you get in a third and six or whatever situation, or if you fall behind in the game, like if then you want to turn it over and be like, okay, Locke, you've got an arm, go use it. Like if, if the game dictates it, sure. Like let him open it up a little bit more than you would with Bridgewater. But going into the game, I agree that my plan would be to run, run, run. All right, so the Broncos don't have any crazy COVID situations going, but they they did have Tim Patrick landing on the COVID list 
Los Angeles has a bunch of players on COVID reserve as well. Uh, so we'll have to keep an eye this week uh, on that situation, make sure people are checking out Broncos Wire. But when it comes to the spread, I think six and a half, that's an easy one for me. I, I like the Broncos. And the total at 45 and a half. Uh, the first game went 28-13, so that, I guess that game went under. Uh, what do you think about that total? I think, I, I think I would stay away from the total and bet the spread, I think, if I'm betting the game. I like taking the points, but what do you think about that total, 45 and a half? You think that stays under like the first meeting, John? Yeah, I agree with you. I think the the spread is easier to predict than the over-under total, but I do think this season, it seems like every time uh, that we're thinking, oh, maybe it'll go over, it seems like almost every time it's coming under, and I think just because the Broncos are such a defensive game or defensive-minded team, they don't get they, points, ha- they limit their teams to their opponents to a lot of points and because the offense has been struggling lately like I'm not that confident that they're if if I have to predict one way or the other I'm guessing it's going to be under opposed to above but I'm with you that the spread to me I think the Broncos keeping it within six and a half I would be much more comfortable with that than the over under the Chargers just got sliced and diced by Davis Mills in the Texans they should not be favored by six and a half over anybody and I don't give them a lot of credit for their home field advantage either. So, uh, yeah, take the points for sure. Are you rooting for the playoffs still, John? I mean, I, what's what's the percentage? We always look at these, like, prediction websites that give the percentages. I think the Broncos are, like, point zero 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 one percent to make the playoffs at this point. Are you still rooting for that? It's so tough. Like, I can't root for them to lose. <laughs> but I would much rather have the 11th overall pick or, like, lose out and have a higher pick then win out, still miss the playoffs, and then, like, I don't know, have, like, the 17th or 18th pick in the draft. To me, that would – like, it's just – it's such a weird thing, and the Broncos have been like this for a couple years where they're not good, but they're also not terrible. So you don't don't make the playoffs, but you also don't get a high draft – well, a couple years ago, they did have a high draft pick. But it's just this season in particular, I just hate being stuck in no man's land. So, yeah, I'm still – I'm still looking at the scenarios, still thinking okay how can we make the playoffs I don't expect it to happen but at this point because I don't think they're gonna be able to improve their their draft position that much yeah I like I still want to make the playoffs but I'm also going to be bummed if they you know split these last two games hurt their their draft position and then miss out on the playoffs or there's also a scenario where they could win out and still not make the playoffs so it's just it's just kind of a terrible situation all around. Yeah, they need a lot, a lot of help to, to go their way, and they have to beat the Chargers. And, oh, by the way, they have to beat the Chiefs in Week 18. So, yeah, check out Broncos Wire. John maps out all the scenarios. There's there's too many to talk about on like a show like this, John. People will fall asleep. I was trying to go through all the scenarios the Broncos need at this point. They've, uh, they've lost their chance at this point to control their own destiny and have a clear path. They have a very, very difficult, unlikely path, and uh, and that's where we're at. But... Oh, on that note, John, I hope you have a very happy new year, you and your family. What do you got going on? Yep, just college football, just hanging out with family. It's, it's going to be a fun, relaxing time. Same here. I'm going to be hanging out with my wife and my uh, baby on the couch watching uh, the college football playoffs on New Year's Eve, and uh, I don't know if I'll make it to midnight. We'll, fi- we'll have to find out. That's, that's when you know you're old, John, when you don't make it to midnight <laughs> anymore. But I hope everybody has a very healthy, safe new year. To our listeners, don't forget to hit subscribe. We appreciate you. We will be back next week to talk Broncos, Chargers, Catch you then. This USA Today Sports Podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. 
Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week.